My name is Patrick, and I am a slowly recovering alcoholic. You know, when Charlie asked me, uh, I guess it was a week ago Friday, he asked me to come speak, and then he said, well, it's a, it's a potluck, you know, and I thought to myself, eating meeting, I thought they usually got their really good speakers for eating meetings, so. <laughs> Charlie, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> about, uh, just about two hours ago, I was thinking to myself, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And then when I left downtown Phoenix, I was like, you know, I like Charlie a lot, but, and I see that HOV lane, and there's a little sign that says $400 for a fine. I said, how much do I really like Charlie? <laughs> but I made it here, and, and uh, I, I do thank Charlie for asking me to come. You know, I, I it, drinking always was kind of like... Um, expected in my family. You know, I'm from Rochester, New York, and uh, I just went, had the privilege of going back there for my 40th high school reunion a couple weekends ago. And um, there were 11 bars within walking distance of my house. <laughs> and my, my dad was an Irish immigrant and uh, worked for the church and uh, was, you know, the maintenance man for the church and, and uh, he did a lot of drinking. My mom did a lot of drinking and, and drinking played a big part uh, of their lives. And, uh, you know, I remember as a little kid going, going to the bars and with my dad because he played cards there and he put me up on the table or whatever and, uh, and uh, all the guys there would buy me those little nickel sodas and, uh, and uh, you know, a little thing of chips and they'd go play cards do their shots and beers and whatever. And I, I just loved the smell of it. I loved the action. I loved, uh, you know, the attention that I got. Uh, but I remember as a little kid asking my mom uh, when Dad wouldn't make it home for dinner, when it would be 9 o'clock and it, we were still waiting to eat. And I remembered asking her, is, you know, is Dad uh, a happy drunk or mad drunk, you know? And uh, you never knew what you were going to get. You know, and I didn't want to be like that, but uh, damned if I wasn't. Um, I went to my first AA meeting in 1984 in uh, Surfside Beach, South Carolina. And uh, how I wound up there is I got pretty much, uh, uh, I didn't get asked to leave Ohio. I, I made the front page of the Cleveland Plain Dealer, which is... Ohio's largest newspaper, and it wasn't for anything good. And in fact, it was the first time that anyone from John Carroll University, which is where I was kind of going at the time, uh, ended up uh, on the front page of the paper. And so anyways, I thought it was real funny at first, and then it wasn't so funny, and then I kind of withdrew from all my classes, and I had a, a girlfriend down there, and I decided to go to Myrtle Beach for this for a two-week vacation. And uh, so I went down there and I stayed for 14 years. Uh, <coughs> managed to get sober along the way. Uh, we got pregnant. I wasn't there uh, but a couple of weeks and we got pregnant. And uh, Then a few months later we got married 
And, uh, uh, and by then I was drinking on a daily basis. Um, when I went away to college, I went away to college basically to play rugby, chase girls, and drink beer. And it uh, wasn't necessary in that order, you know. Um, and, you know, I never made it through John Carroll. Um, we got, my parents didn't even know where I, where I was when I was in South Carolina. They thought I was still in Ohio. And I called them up to invite them to the wedding and said, by the way, uh, I'm thinking about getting married. Uh, and they said, what? And they'd never, I, 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 I think they met the girl. But they said, uh, I'm getting married. Uh, and my mother was like, what? Where are you? I said, I'm in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. She goes, why are you going to get married? I said, well, you're going to be a grandma. <laughs> and so, uh, anyways, they came. Um, and I was on the wagon. You know, I was on the wagon when I was married, or at least I was supposed to be at the wedding. And I remember on our, uh, on our uh, honeymoon, uh, she, as soon as she hit the sh shower, we were in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, I'd take the elevator all the way down to the basement where there was a bar, and I'd get a triple vodka and orange juice and chug it down and go back up, and I knew that would be about the time she'd be getting out of the shower, uh, you know, and I'd have a heck of a, a, of a headache. Um, I was always kind of a cocky kid. You know, it was funny going back to my... Uh, my 40th high school reunion, because when I left high school, I had everything going for me in a lot of ways. On the outside, uh, I, I did anyways. You know, I got, I was smart enough to get into college. I was uh, uh, athletic enough that I boxed for five years, and I played, and I ran track. And uh, I was elected president of the student council, because it was an all-boys school. If there were girls there, they would have been smart enough to see through my line of BS. Um, and, uh, and I hung around with the guys that partied. I hung around with the jocks, and, and, uh, uh, and I had, and I remember my father telling me, you did a good job, and all that other stuff, and I, uh, and I just remember looking at him, uh, the night of my, uh, graduation party, and thinking, you're full of, you know, you're full of something and bad manners, you know, uh, regardless of what I did, I had this feeling like there was a big old hole in my gut. The wind was whipping through. And I didn't understand it at the time, you know. And I went off to school and, and uh, was totally ill-prepared. Uh, it was a bad decision, too, because Ohio was a 21 state and New York was an 18 state, and, uh, uh, except that you could drink 3.2 beer in Ohio. And... Uh, so I drank a lot of it. Uh, but anyways, that back to that girlfriend that I ended up marrying. Uh, I had been 12-stepped, which I didn't know what the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous were, five years before I went to my first AA meeting. You know, I was in a jackpot at John Carroll and went and talked to a, a priest. And I, I can't remember really what I, what I got in trouble for, but I knew there was an ulterior motive for me to go talk to a priest. And uh, I was taught, I don't know what line of BS that I, that I told him. And, uh, and he, I remember he asked me a bunch of questions, six questions. And, uh, and I answered yes to all of them. And he said, you don't have that many problems. 
And I was thinking to myself, you haven't listened to a word I said here for the last 45 minutes. And uh, he said, your only problem is you're an alcoholic. And I thought to myself, you know, Father, you're nuts. And I went back to my dorm room and opened up the little refrigerator and popped another beer, because I'd already had quite a few before I went to see him. Um, and it was five years after that, I went to my first AA meeting. My, uh, I had Irish twins, 16 months apart, and uh, like I said, I'd already be, been a daily drinker for a while, and I was in the restaurant business, and, uh, you know, I didn't find out till I came in here, and when you get in here about the more about alcoholism, and all the stuff that I had tried to do before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous to try to control my drinking. I was like, when my wife got pregnant for the second time, I said, I need to get another job so I won't drink too much, so much. So I got another job. And what was really strange was I ended up drinking just as much, if not more. I just slept less, you know. Uh, um, I, I did stuff that uh, I would tell my wife she'd be madder than hell because I'd get home at 4 o'clock in the morning and I'd say, oh, I'll do better. And, uh, I'd, and I'd say to myself, as soon as I got off of work at around 11, 12 o'clock, because I was in the restaurant business, uh, I'd say, well, I'll just have one beer, you know. And uh, next thing I knew, it was 4 o'clock in the morning. So the next night after I caught that ration of crap, I'd get home at 2 o'clock and thought I was doing great, you know. And it was a million-dollar question as to how much money I had in my pocket because I got paid pretty much in cash. And uh, I would look every day, kind of next morning, hungover, and look to see what was in my uh, left in my pants. And hopefully my wife hadn't gotten to it first. Um, and I don't know how we paid the bills back then, to be honest with you. Because, uh, I mean, she worked and I worked, but... Uh, there wasn't a lot of money, and I drank full-time. Um, so finally my wife had about enough of my action, and she said, uh, that's about it. Uh, I came home, and she thought I was having an affair. And I was probably the most honest I had been, and I can't remember how long. Uh, but I looked her dead in the eye, and I said, yeah, I'm having an affair. And, and I think she was winding up to hit me then. And uh, I said, I'm having an affair with the bottle. And uh, I'd already, you know, in Myrtle Beach, they had the meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous in the newspaper, in the Sun News. And it was, uh, uh, there weren't that many meetings back then. And uh, so I I wound up going and I kind of had an inkling that I might drink too much and I needed to simmer down for a while. That was about as much as I was willing to give this AA thing. And when I got there, most of the people were all older than me. In fact, everyone was older than me. And uh, there were a lot of retirees. And uh, they welcomed me. And I, uh, I just wanted things to simmer down, folks. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. I uh, didn't have any grandiose ideas that I was going to stop drinking for any long period of time. I listened, as you guys brought up the God thing, and then said the Our Father at the end of the meeting, I remember that, and I remember before the Our Father, y'all held hands, which was even worse, and uh, I was like, you know, I don't know about this, and uh, 
afterwards, I stood outside, and the guy uh, that chaired the beginner's meeting was talking to me, and it was a Lutheran church, and the lights dimmed out and went out. I guess they were on a timer. And I looked at him, and I said, so what am I supposed to do now? And he goes, you're supposed to go home and, and uh, come back tomorrow night. We've got another meeting and told me where it was. And uh, I thought to myself, man, and I'd been, I was shaking pretty bad because I hadn't had a drink in like two days. And I was shaking from the inside out. And uh, it was not a good thing. And this was back when treatment centers were just starting to become somewhat popular. But I had no insurance. I didn't have insurance for either one of my kids. And I also knew if I went for a 28-day vacation that my wife wasn't going to be there when I went back, much less my kids. So, uh, you know, I just had to do it the white-knuckle way. And I wasn't real successful. You know, they told me to get a sponsor. Didn't get a sponsor. Told me to work the steps to the best of my ability. Didn't work the steps. Got me a big book. They told me I could pay for it in the installment plan. Um, and my wife read the big book before I did, you know. And I was in pretty bad shape. I remember before going to my first meeting a couple months before that, and uh, I was trying to read the newspaper in the morning, and I was shaking like you wouldn't believe. You know, I was 25 years old, and I'm shaking, and I'm getting to the end of a sentence, and I couldn't remember what the beginning of the sentence was about. And I was thinking to myself, you know, there's something wrong with this picture. But, you know, it really wasn't my drinking, right? Um, so it took me two years of going in and out of meetings uh, and picking up white chips. That's what they gave out in South Carolina. And, uh, and trying to do this thing over and over and over again. And I ran out of every meeting to pick up a white chip in Myrtle Beach. And uh, the Grand Strand was like 30-some-odd miles long. And there was about two or three meetings every, every day. That was about all there was. And I'd have to drive, you know, 30 miles to go to a meeting or whatever. And, and uh, uh, you know, I had a rough time staying sober. And looking back now, it was because I didn't do what you all told me to do. It was really that simple, you know. And I really couldn't comprehend a lot of the stuff that was going on. But each time I went out, I ended up, when I came back in, I tried to do a little bit more of what y'all told me to do, you know. Um, I finally got a sponsor, uh, first sponsor I got, didn't use them. Called them up from the restaurant one night and said that I was looking at the bartender, poor... Uh, for a beef eater tonic, and I was mighty thirsty. And he was an old Polish guy from uh, Buffalo, New York. And he said to me, "Think about what it tastes like coming back up, not what it tastes like going down." And spiked the phone on me. <laughs> so, anyways, I quit using Frank after shortly after that, and I ended up getting a, a sponsor. And, and what I did was I ended up looking around at a guy. Actually, when I first saw him, he was a big guy, a heavy, heavy guy, and he had a big red face, and he was always smiling, and he had like seven years of sobriety. And at first, I didn't believe his seven years of sobriety. I thought, you know, just like I thought there was a secret handshake, you know, and I was waiting for the secret handshake. I thought he was one of those guys that had a bottle in the back and 
would you know nip on it a little after the meetings or whatever. But he was about the happiest guy I knew, and uh, and each time I came back in to pick up a white white chip, I was a little bit more desperate. You know, I do remember that, and uh, I was desperate as hell. And Herb had worked with this uh, friend of mine in the program, and and this guy stayed sober, and I was having a hell of a time, and. Uh, so I decided to go find Herb and track his, him, him down, and, and uh, I found out that he was in the hospital. He had a heart attack. And, of course, for once, you know, I kind of stubborn kind of guy, and once I get my mind made up about something, you know, come hell or high water, I'm going to do it. So uh, I went and got, he was in the uh, cardiac care unit, and, uh, which was like a step down from ICU. And... Uh, so I went in, and the nurse said, it's only family. And, uh, uh, and I said, well, I'm his son. And so he said, she said, okay. And so they brought me in, and Herb was, he had all these tubes hooked up to him and everything else. Luckily, he didn't have the breather or anything like that. And I said, Herb, I, I, I need a sponsor, and I really want you to be my sponsor. Would you please be my sponsor? Because uh, I can't stay sober. And... Uh, and he just kind of laughed for a second. He goes, well, if I ever get out of this hospital, I'll be your sponsor. And he said, <laughs> he said uh, uh, but we're going to work the steps. You know? and, uh, and when I left, nurse said to me, she goes, you know, how many brothers do you have? And I said, why do you ask? He said, your black brother just left a half an hour ago. <laughs> But, you know, in the beginning, everything was always everyone else's problem, you know. Uh, I went, I must have gone to him a million times and said, Herb, you know, and I'd, I'd whine and beef about my wife and go on, and she doesn't understand me, da-da-da-da-da. And uh, he had an old El Camino. We'd drive around Myrtle Beach, this El Camino. And he'd listen, he wouldn't say anything. And then at the end of the ride... He'd be in front of Winn-Dixie or Piggly Wiggly or one of the other grocery stores, and, and I'd say, and he'd say, uh, we'll go on in there and buy some flowers. And I'd say, Herb, why do I have to buy flowers? He goes, for your wife. And I said, didn't you listen to a damn thing I said the last 45 minutes? He said, go buy her some flowers and give them to her. You know, uh, uh, and I, I argued with the steps more than anything else. I think I thought this was a great debating society or something, you know. I said, how can my life be unmanageable if I'm managing a restaurant and bar? You know, how can I be insane? How can I get sanity if I've really never been sane? You know, that was a good one, I remember. You know, and Herb finally said to me, he got so fed up with me. He, uh, he didn't get fed up with me, he listened to me. Uh, and he said, you know, Patrick, go up to the club on 67th Avenue North and up next to the steps and the traditions is a big thing that says the principles of the program. And I said, yeah, I've been to meetings there. I've seen them. He goes, go up there and write them all down and quit worrying about all the words in the steps and start practicing those, you know. And, and that's kind of what I did. And slowly I started going to like step meetings and big book meetings. And I was definitely afraid of the big book. I thought that if I read it, I'd be one of those that it wouldn't work for. You know? And I really thought that 
I was one of those ones that was uh, constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves, you know. And I remember when I finally got a year, an honest year, and uh, I went, I, uh, Herb was there and gave me my chip. And so made the fatal mistake of saying, hey, Herb, how, how, how am I doing? How do you think I'm doing? And he goes, well, Patrick, he thought for a minute, and he goes, I think you're, uh, you're doing pretty good, but about half the time you're still BSing yourself, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I just, I just, I don't know if it was because I was young, because I was stupid, or because or I was too smart, or what I was, but uh, uh, I was just not willing to rigorously do the things that you folks told me to do, you know. And that's what it came down to. And it wasn't until I started rigorously doing the steps that that hole in my gut started closing up you know and it was a long time you know uh we used to have a guy that that was he was a psychiatrist and he called himself a recovered alcoholic and then he quoted the part in the big book where it says we have recovered talking about the first 100 you know and he said he was a recovered alcoholic you know and that kind of really irked me you know because i was the kind of guy that as soon as I thought I had it, I didn't. You know what I mean? It's like it's like sand going through your hands. Um, and it really irked me. And that's when I became a slowly recovering alcoholic. You know, and something happened to me, I remember, because the consequences of my drinking kept on catching up with me. You know, um, I had done a lot of things, created a lot of wreckage in my short drinking uh, career. And uh, things didn't automatically get better once I first, you know, put the cork in the bottle. And once I was finally able to, to not drink for, for more than 30 days. And, uh, you know, things didn't, and, you know, my wife, things got worse with her. Um, things got worse. I lost a job. You know, after I got sober, they said they didn't want me to work there anymore. And then I had to go back to working in the kitchen and waiting tables. And I thought I'm never going to be able to do that sober. Um, I mean, I just, you know, I was like a bull in a china shop. And, uh, I, and one of my things was I didn't get sober for this stuff, you know, except I didn't say stuff. And, and that was my model for a long time, you know. And anyone that would listen to me, I'd beef about it all the time, too. And uh, uh, I said, uh, um, and finally my wife had had enough, and I forget what we were fighting about at the time. Uh, but she said she was taking the kids and, and moving back to Ohio. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was, like, devastated. And I went, uh, I went to the beach, like I usually did when, uh, when things hit the fan. Uh, I used to go there and drink late at night and try to figure out life and things. And uh, um, and then once I got sober, I'd go there and attempt to pray and usually didn't do too good of a job of it. Uh, and half the time it was me complaining to this higher power that I didn't understand. Um, and I remember very clearly that day, uh, you know, I tore off my shirt. I mean, I was pretty upset. And uh, I looked out, and, and, and something changed. It was, uh, it was strange, because the ocean was kind of calm, 
Uh, I mean, it was, and I could see this. I remember seeing the sunlight on the ocean. And uh, uh, somehow or other, the thought came into my head. I kind of, I prayed as best as I could, which wasn't too good back then. And I wasn't complaining and whining. And I, and something came to me and said, you know, um, I don't have to get drunk over this, you know. And I became very peaceful inside. And I knew in that moment in time that when I went home, if she and the kids were gone, I wasn't going to take a drink of alcohol. And I knew at that particular time, in that particular moment, that if I went home and she and the kids were there, I wasn't going to take a drink of alcohol. And, and after that, it just quit becoming so damn hard to stay sober. You know, I still can't totally explain it. And the only thing that I can say is it's that psychic experience that they talk about that Young said an, an alcoholic needed to have. And it's what Bill talks about the spiritual experience. And it's about as close to a burning bush as this, as this as I've ever seen. Uh, but I felt so calm and relaxed and I had, it wasn't like a cocky confidence. I just had, I knew, I knew in my heart of hearts that I did not have to drink anymore. You know? And I knew that in the long run, things were going to end up being okay. Maybe not things weren't going to be okay. I was going to end up being okay, you know. And uh, she was home, by the way, <laughs> with the kids. Um, and we stayed married for a long time. And I raised those two kids, and they really never remember seeing me, uh, uh, seeing me drunk, you know, and I'm real grateful for that. Um, I ended up making amends to my folks, uh, they were the living amends type things. And, uh, um, because, you know, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of resentment and it took a long time. Uh, and I think I really made my final amends with them when they both had passed away and I went to their grave site. And cause the only reason I knew to do that was cause I still had a lot of this residual stuff going on in my head and in my heart. And uh, I heard someone in Alcoholics Anonymous say, you should go to their grave site and talk to them. So I went back to, uh, to New York and, uh, and did that. Um, I uh, ended up going back to school and, and getting that degree and then uh, went on and got another degree and, and, and worked for uh, uh, Michelin Tire Corporation for 23 years. Um, and... Uh, uh, had a good life and raised, you know, my kids, like I said, didn't see me. And I had the opportunity uh, to be with my daughter on this last little trip. She lives outside of Columbus, and I met my uh, uh, second grandchild from her and uh, and spent some time with uh, her and her husband. Um, and my son lives in Florida. He missed the hurricane. Uh, he, he, he went to Disneyland and actually closed it. Uh, and I've got a good relationship with both of them, and it's a direct result of the uh, of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And you know, I remember the first time I heard the uh, promises read at a meeting. You know, I was like, I don't want any of that stuff. 
Why do I want that? I mean, I want some money. I want to get my wife off my back. I want to be able to keep a job. I want to make sure I don't have to worry about the kids eating. All that. I wanted all that stuff, you know. And then the longer I've been in the program, the more that those, and the more that I've gotten some of those promises in my life, uh, the more that they mean to me. You know what I mean? And it's not so much all the other stuff in my life uh, that's happened. You know, and I wish I could tell you that, you know, I'm a great AA and all this, and I've always worked the steps real well and, and all that. And, uh, uh, you know, I've gone through the steps on, uh, from 1 through 12 several times, you know. And I've heard some people say that you, you know, you stop after you do the first nine, you just do 10, 11, and 12, you know. But I've been sober for more than half my life now. And uh, I've screwed up a lot since I've been sober, too. And I've had a lot of reasons to go back and do the steps over again. Um, and, uh, and I'm grateful that I did, because you guys gave me a, uh, a way of life that, uh, you know, that is unbelievable in the long run. You know, the roads become narrower, and sometimes it's harder, you know, to, to live up to the ideals and and the stuff that you're supposed to do, uh, but but the damn the results are so much better. You know, uh, the promises that have come true in my life are pretty unbelievable. Uh, I had the opportunity to go back to school five years ago and uh, and pick up a master's degree, and now I I work uh, I work in uh, field of mental health and addictions too. You know, and I was working with a guy just this afternoon, uh, a, a guy that. Uh, was sober for 11 years and then went out, you know, and uh, drank and drugged for four years, and now he's got nine months, you know, and that's a beautiful thing. That's a real beautiful thing. Not that he went out, but uh, that he found his way back, you know, because I don't know if I've got another recovery, you know, left in me. I really don't. Um, And like I said before, I've gone through... Uh, I'm not the best AA in the world. I've sponsored people. I've tried to do this thing to the best of my ability, and sometimes, sometimes it hasn't been great. Uh, I've gone for periods in my sobriety where I didn't go to meetings, you know, and I paid the consequence for that. I, I didn't pick up, but uh, I went through a lot of mental strife and stuff like that because of that, you know. Um, like I said, I, I've moved probably nine times in, in, uh, to the best of my recollection in the program. And the successful moves have been when as soon as I moved to a new place, I threw myself into the program and went to as many meetings as I could, got another sponsor, became, got a home group, did all the stuff that was finally led me to success. The less successful ones moves were when I kind of went half sporadically. Uh, I started whining and complaining about how AA was different than it was back in wherever, you know, because it's always a little different no matter where you go. Uh, It's just different people. The principles are the same, you know. Um, It's pretty wild. Charlie, I'm really glad you asked me to speak tonight. I'll never forget... Uh, I was kind of one of those guys that I had two years of sobriety and I was planning what I'd say on my 20th anniversary, 
you know. And, I, you know, I was just kind of one of those guys. And the first time anyone asked me to, to, to uh, speak, I was so excited. And uh, his name was Jack, and he always introduced himself as, my name's Jack, and I'm a happy alcoholic. And uh, he was a great artist. His, his stuff was in every McDonald's up and down the Grand Strand. And he was the, one of the happiest guys I ever knew. So I said, where are we going to go speak, you know? And he said, we're going to go to Gristown, North Carolina. And I said, okay, never heard of it. He goes, oh, it's a little farming community, blah, 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 blah. It's about, you know, half hour, 45-minute drive. And I said, okay. So I wrote out this big, long speech, you know, because I was going to show these people how smart I was and, and how I'm working this wonderful program. And I, I, Truth be told, probably half of it was lies. But a hurricane had come through. Uh, and everyone evacuated, and everyone came back, and so Jack and I drove up there, and it took us about an hour to get there, and it was this little clubhouse in the middle of nowhere, and they didn't have any power. <laughs> they had candlelight, you know, so I, uh, I had to tear up that thing that I wrote and kind of speak from my heart. Um, Charlie, I really appreciate you asking me, uh, asking me to come, you know, come speak. You're one of the, those guys you always got a smile on your face. And uh, it, it always does my heart well. Uh, and I'm just, you know, I'm really grateful that uh, that uh, I've made it for as long as I have. You know? Uh, and it's really uh, it's really because all the folks that I've had the opportunity to, to meet and, uh, and have fellowship with in these rooms like you all have here. So thanks a lot for asking me, Charlie. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Patrick.